everyone. Welcome to ABC Gotham, your New York City amateur history podcast. I am your host, Kathleen. Today joining me to report on episode U, Ugliest Buildings, is my dear friend Jaquetta. Hello, Jaquetta. Thanks for coming to join us. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Can you introduce yourself briefly to our audience? Sure. My name is Jaquetta Satmari, and I am the co-host of Hey, You Know It. Which is one a of weekly, my favorites. Yeah, which is a weekly podcast that I do with my producer and co-host Katie Casimir. And we tell you how it is or how it should be. New episode every Monday. It is a great show. There's a link down below for everyone who doesn't listen to it. I strongly recommend it. Well, thank you so much for joining me for this most emotional and agonizing of all of the topics I have ever worked on. Really? Worse than contagion. Contagion was pretty bad. I'm not going to lie, but you know those those are people who died who I don't know, and I have to see these True. buildings every day. So True. <laughs> so they're they're pretty rough, guys. I'm not going to lie to my listeners. This was this was rough. You know, it was rough researching smallpox. It was rough researching the prison ship martyrs. A lot of things are rough about this podcast, but ugliest buildings. This is going to be an emotional episode. I just want to warn yeah. you in advance. I, I got pretty emotional during the research, and I'm still pretty emotional right now as I'm looking at these ugly buildings. Exactly. So for our listeners, I know there you probably know already, we've got a photo album on the Facebook page that has all of the pictures of all of these buildings. I urge you to check it out. Just like with zoning, this is a pretty visual episode, so definitely, definitely take a look. If you can stomach it, I believe in you. I think they can. We got through it. <laughs> Yeah. So what we're going to do is because the buildings, there are so many ugly buildings, and when we asked you, the listeners, for suggestions, you gave us so many great suggestions. Thank you. Thank you. We had to split it into two episodes. This has to be a two-parter. Luckily, the ugly buildings tend to fall into two distinct groups, and that is both brutalism and modernism. To quite isn't it weird we don't have a lot of Beaux-Arts or arts and crafts? Yeah. Who knew? <laughs> Not too much classical architecture. So for the first episode, we are going to talk about brutalism. There is no shortage of hideous, soul-destroying, life-obliterating brutalist buildings in this city. But first, let's go over briefly, what is brutalism? What do you know, Jaquetta? Well, I did a little research on this because... We see a lot of these structures around the city and kind of visually you group them together, but I didn't really know what brutalism was. To me, it just meant a lot of heavy concrete, yeah, clean lines, mm -hmm. large buildings, very monolithic. Yeah. And I always found them to be depressing, but according mm -hmm. to my research, one of the ideas behind brutalism is that it was looking forward and it was optimistic. I, I just don't see that when I look at those buildings. I don't either, but this is what they were thinking. Apparently, concrete was a very forward-thinking material. It was the material mm. of the people. It was mm -hmm. the idea of putting everything out there where you could see it. It wasn't hidden behind any you know, fancy curtain walls, mm -hmm. no fancy scrolls or architectural doodads on it. This was something that was meant for the people. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of structures were built for the people. So like schools, housing projects, and, and things that we tend nowadays to see as oppressive. Mm -hmm. And I'm, t I'm speaking as, a, you know, one of the people. Yes, yes. <laughs> they were trying to go for a sort of a lean and mean, no frills, real, rough. Yeah. P 
pure kind of look. Brutalism, the word itself, actually refers to a French term, béton brut, which means raw concrete. And that's actually what we're looking at is raw, unfinished concrete. It doesn't actually have to do with brutality or anything like that. It's just a happy accident that it translates to brutalism. Exactly. For us. It really it really has coincided quite nicely with how yeah. the buildings actually look. And this is the thing I uh, that I learned about brutalism. Architects love it. Yeah, I was the more research I did, the more I found about how difficult it is mm-hmm. technically to design a building that's going to be poured from concrete. This is a very hard thing to do. Exactly. It's got to be real precise to work with concrete. You've got to have a lot of skills. So when an architect looks at one of these hideous buildings that we'll be describing today, they see how hard it was and how skillful it was and how well done it was, while the rest of us see a wet cardboard box. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Although one good thing I found that is that apparently the medium of film mm. and photography, the way people are using it now, is helping people to rediscover these buildings. Because apparently concrete looks amazing on film uh, and in photography. See, So that's one thing. That is definitely something. But the downside is the concrete might look nice, but the building itself still looks like a piece of garbage. So, <laughs> But if I guess if you're doing a photo shoot for something. It, it diffuses the light nicely. It's good. Exactly. But yeah, we have to look at it, the rest of us, you know. Now, you know what I learned, actually? The Guggenheim is brutalist. That counts as brutalist. I didn't know that. I didn't. I only learned that yesterday. And it's because it's concrete. So for those of you who don't know, the Guggenheim is a fat white corkscrew. It's it's cute. It's it's uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, but since it is poured concrete, it is technically brutalism. I like the Guggenheim. I think it's weird and fun. I do too. I I don't consider that to be brutalism, but mm-hmm. I'm wrong apparently. Yeah, yeah, I was too. Yeah. So other than the Guggenheim, not a fan. Which brings us to the first of many brutalist buildings in the city we'll be discussing, and I'll be telling you about the Verizon Building. This one has gotten a unanimous vote from all of the places that I have pulled people for their opinions about the ugliest building. I put a thread on Reddit. I talked to my friends. I posted with all of the ABC Gotham listeners, random strangers I meet on the street, coworkers. Verizon building is one of the top five. So wow. just to give you guys a bit of a background, this is at 375 Pearl Street in Manhattan. It is also known as One Brooklyn Bridge Plaza. It is a 32-story telephone-switching building at the Manhattan end of the Brooklyn Bridge. So if you're walking across the Brooklyn Bridge from Brooklyn to Manhattan, it is right there up in your face. You cannot miss it. It's got the big Verizon name written on the side. It is a gray rectangular behemoth. Please take a look at the photos. Its bleakness is punctuated only by vertical black lines. These do nothing to increase the building's appeal and, in fact, make it even more imposing. The lines, I learned upon research, are actually three-foot-wide windows. Wow. So it opened in 1975 for the New York Telephone Company. The New York Times architecture critic, a gentleman named Paul Goldberger, decried it as the most disturbing of the phone company's new switching centers because it, here's the quote, overwhelms the Brooklyn Bridge Towers, thrusts a residential neighborhood into shadow, and sets a tone of utter banality. Wow. Triple play. Right? (laughs) So 
there have been changes very recently. New owners took over in 2007. They announced plans to dramatically change the facade. They're swapping out sections of the blank concrete for a glass curtain wall. Renovation is happening as we speak. It's at the time of recording. It is still in process, but we are able to see some progress. A gentleman named Paul E. Pariser, co-chief executive of the group that now owns the building, said a reporter told him, Mr. Pariser, you have a challenge cut out for you, turning a GE dishwasher into an office building. Ooh. Apparently, Mr. Pariser likes that challenge. And for those of you who agree with me or disagree with me, I should let you know. April 3rd, 2012, the UK's online version of the Daily Telegraph showed this building, 375 Pearl Street. It is ranked number 20 in a series of the 30 ugliest buildings in the world. (laughs) The link is provided for you guys, listeners, right there below. If you want to see the other 29, by all means, go ahead, but don't say I didn't warn you. The other ones are pretty bad, too. So they're glassing it up. They're throwing up a glass wall. It's going to look better when it's completed. It still won't look great. And actually, that is one of many brutalist buildings there trying to convert with a glass wall. But we'll get to that in a minute. What do you have, Jaquetta? What's your favorite? Wow. Okay. (laughs) So I have kind of the, uh, you know, the ugly stepsister to this building. Wait, the ugly? It is the the ugly one. (laughs) Yes, this is the ugly one. (laughs) Okay. This is the uh, AT&T Long Lines building. It's awful. It's very similar to the building you were describing. It's a telecom nightmare. Mm -hmm. It's at 33 Thomas Street. This is in lower Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And it was built in 1974. So that's a year before you were building. Oh, so these are basically twinsies. The same style, right around the same time, both for phones. Yeah. Yeah. This was, it was built by John Carl Warnecke, Mm -hmm. who was a friend of the Kennedy family. And he also designed Lafayette Square in D.C. and the Kennedy gravesite at Arlington National Cemetery. Huh. It was very interesting. I, some interesting information about him. Mm-hmm. He mostly did projects like skyscrapers, airports, libraries, things like that. But he did a lot of brutalist work, including uh, Georgetown University's Lowinger Library, which oh, is also my... a, a hated building. Yeah, that one's horrible. I went to it's... Georgetown. That was a bad one. Oh, I didn't know you went there. Okay, so you have a, a you know a relationship with this building. Yeah, that one's so bad. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. So he also, not only was he a friend of the Kennedy family, mm. he also dated Jackie O briefly before she moved on to Aristotle Onassis. Well. So he built this building in a way that it was, de- it was designed to bear an extremely large amount of weight per square foot. Okay. So each story of the building is, it's 18 feet high mm. and it can hold anywhere from 200 to 300 pounds per square foot. Holy crap. And this is... Yeah, this is important because this this building is very tall. Mm. It has no windows on it. It looks like something from Men in Black. It's got some air ducts at the top. Yeah. And it was originally created to house AT&T's carrier exchanges okay. for long-distance telephone switches and equipment. And it's also built to survive nuclear fallout oh, for two weeks. Oh, my God. It can exist 100% off-grid for up to two weeks. It has its own gas, oh. own water can clean its own air yeah and it has a generator holy shit and so during september 11th that was the only building in lower manhattan that was still working jaquetta i feel bad it's so hideous but if it was it's hideous yeah and listeners oh my lord it's hideous i'll tell you about those air vents in a second but i feel bad because it 
if it functions so well, even on September 11th, and I know the Verizon building, it took a day or two for, for the Verizon yeah. building to get back online. Well, keep listening because oh. I think I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll turn the corner on this one. <laughs> All right. So this is a, a very tall building. Mm. It, it has no windows. Uh, the walls are extremely thick. And it was built this way so it, they could control the temperature inside okay. because they were going to have all the equipment sure. in there. It has it has some uh, perforations around the sides of the building. Those are the air ducts. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a 167.5 meter tall concrete slab, Ugh. single slab, uh, in pink colored Swedish granite. Which is interesting because I've, I see this building all the yeah. time. And it depends on the time of day. Huh. If this building looks pink or not. Oh, that's interesting. If you take a picture of it, sometimes it looks pink. Mm -hmm. Take another picture, red, brown. So that part of it is interesting. Thank God. There's um, some redeeming feature. Yeah. It claims that it looks like a, a castle. And it doesn't look like a castle. Because of... <laughs> it doesn't look like a castle to me. Nope. <laughs> so, like I said, during after September 11th, mm. it was the only building south of Canal Street that was operational. But it also is rumored, and we found out from Edward Snowden's release, that it's where the NSA does a lot of its spying from. What? Uh, in an operation called Titan Point. What? So it is the core location for the controversial NSA surveillance program that has a code name of Blarney. <gasps> and has targeted communications from the UN, the World Bank, 38 countries, including some of our allies like Japan, mm -hmm. Germany, and Mexico. Whoa. So the NSA equipment is stored in there and it's linked with the, it's an access partner with AT&T. Oh my so God. This building is being used now for spying, but the more research that I did, and there's obviously no way to verify all of this, sure. is that it was built at a time when we thought we were going to have to do a lot more spying on people. Okay. And so really at the end of the day, it's who knows what's in there. So 75 uh, has, is mid-Cold War. I get it. Yeah, mid-Cold War. It has satellite dishes and has an. it can interrupt communications through their satellites, through their internet sweeps. It is a massive telecommunication and spying hub. That's astonishing. I had no yeah. idea. Even though the building was built to be self-sufficient, mm -hmm. you know, it's just like the Titanic. They said it would never sink. Of course they. Not. Yeah, they had a problem on September 17th in 1991. Hmm. It was a combination of management problems, power equipment, and human error. And it went down. Hmm. And five million calls were blocked. The <laughs> Federal Aviation Administration private lines were interrupted. Huh. Air traffic control went down at 398 airports. What? On the nor that were serving the Northeast. And it was just, it was a mistake. It was a routine procedure, something they always do, switching the power back and forth. Yeah. With, with Con Edison, but something went wrong. Oh, my Lord. And then the check wasn't performed, and then one plant went on battery backup, and the alarms weren't detected until it was too late, and the power was interrupted. Jaquetta, oh, my Lord. Yes. So, like, How crazy is that? Were planes grounded? Like, what happened if it cuts off? It doesn't say what happened. Yeah. I'm sure they wouldn't, you know, let on. Oh and I'm Lord. assuming it was probably fairly quick, but even so. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that that scares me a little bit when I think about how much we depend on stuff like this and exactly. we don't even know it. Oh, my yeah. Lord. And all the spying. So that is the the creepy AT&T. It's called the Long Lines Building Long because lines. there are lines on the outside of it. You can see if you look at the pictures. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's given the name. To me, whenever I see this building, I think of Krull. What's Krull? 
Crawl is a science fiction film ah. from the 80s, and it has a very monolithic castle that moves from place to place. Oh, my God. And it kind of looks creepy to me like this castle. Well, uh, again, I, I'm agreeing <laughs> with you that it doesn't look very castle-like. This is the one, actually, my brother and Kate from previous episodes has described when they first moved here, and they were like babies. They just started college. They saw that, and it looked like the Ministry of Love from 1984. Yeah. Because there are no windows. Obviously, this building was clearly not constructed for humans to spend a lot of time in. No, you cannot get inside this building. No, no. And the thing is, those vents, those square vents, it always looks to me like they're the sucking mouths. Yes. Of like lampreys or some kind of creepy yes. fish that latches on. I knew they were creeping me out for some reason. It, t it totally looks like lamprey mm -hmm, eels. Mm -hmm. Like a bunch of lamprey eels. That's it. It's the AT&T lamprey building. One after another after another. So for those of you who don't know what a lamprey eel looks like, listeners, I got a picture in the album on Facebook for you to take a look at. Again, you'll never unsee those lamprey eels if you look at this. <laughs> no. <laughs> you will not. So when we talk about brutalist buildings, there is an important one over on the west side. This is 450 West 33rd Street. It's very near 10th Avenue. People know it as the AP building because it's home to the Associated Press. So again, pictures on the Facebook page. Take a look. This building was designed in the brutalist style by Davis Brody Associates and built in 1969-1970. It is home to the New York Daily News, U.S. News & World Report, public TV station WNET, and, of course, the AP, the Associated Press. The AP moved to this building in 2004. Their former home was at Rockefeller Center. This is interesting. The building used to be topped by a skating rink known as Sky Rink, which is kind of wow. cool. Yeah. Sky Rink has moved to Chelsea Piers now. So the AP building has gone through some changes over the years including some intended to improve the appearance. It's just this blunt trapezoidal structure. It's not super tall, maybe 10 stories, concrete, of course. There was some cosmetic work in 2003. This included the addition of armor-like metal plates. Wow. Yeah. And that was intended <laughs> to make it look better, and it kind of backfired aesthetically. The owner of the building is now Brookfield Office Properties. And their CEO, Dennis Friedrich, said, Our architects think those new metal plates make it uglier. There is a link below. You can see kind of a before and after. It's sort of partway through the renovation. So you can see part of the building with the plates and part of the building without. Hard to say if it's uglier, but it's definitely still ugly. So right now, there is another renovation in progress. They're going to cover it with glass. So... Okay. Even more than the Verizon building went through where they're renovating a couple of the floors to get some windows, to get some glass, they are covering the AP building in glass. It's going to cost hmm. them $200 million to turn this beast into a beauty. There is a link below, as usual, for the rendering of the new and improved building. Chiquetta, actually, I'm going to send this to you. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to look for it right now because I'm like, how is this going to look? And I hate that building, Yeah, no, by the it's, way. It's horrible. And I'll send Oof. you that now and you can take a look at it. Oh, here we go. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Right? Yes, that's, that's polishing something. It's, it's 
<laughs> That's exactly what they've done. They have polished something. It looks like they've put kind of like like everyone has opened up the levers on each floor. Yes. It's... Do you know what I mean? If you, or like if you've ever been to uh, in a trailer home, mm -hmm. uh, they have sometimes the weird windows that are just slats yes. of glass. Yep. And they, they kind of cantilever up and down. That's what that looks like. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Listeners, take a look. I, I think it looks better, but ha that it's has better, but still bad. It has more to do with it couldn't have looked worse. Yeah, and I honestly, in the terms of this, and in terms of uh, Verizon, it, I find some comfort in the fact that there can be a way to renovate the buildings somewhat. Yes, because from what I understand from these structures, I don't know about each one specifically, yeah. but for brutalist structures, it's very difficult to disassemble them. Precisely. Because they are extremely sturdy. Exactly. They're not going anywhere. Just like no. the Long Lines building, it'd take a bomb yeah. to destroy it. Yeah. It's not worth it. There's nowhere to put the rubble. We are, yeah. we are quite literally stuck with these buildings. They're not going anywhere. But at least, at least, maybe there's a way to prettify them. Ugh. Yeah, this isn't a bad idea. Just covering it with glass, I guess. That's it. That's it. And nicer for the people who have to work in the building. Yeah. I might make one suggestion, though. Mm -hmm. Could they do something with hanging gardens? That's you kind of, I feel like that would be high maintenance, but I think that would make it actually okay. really, really nice looking if they can do yeah. that. So we'll see. So that's all I have on the AP building. What else you got? I have here a building that I used to work in. Uh, I, I'm an ESL teacher, mm. and for a couple of years, I worked at Pace University. Okay. And oh, God. the main building there, one Pace Plaza, mm -hmm. is hideous. Mm. It is a brutalist nightmare. It was completed in 1969, and Ugh. it is the flagship building uh, complex of Pace University. And you can see that it's down by City Hall it's, and mm -hmm. adjacent to Brooklyn Bridge. So you have a, a lot of very beautiful buildings in the area, and then you have this. Ugh. The building houses most of the classrooms, administrative offices, a student union, a theater. And then on top of this building, there's mm -hmm. an 18-floor high-rise. Just what? stuck on top of it. <laughs> and in that high-rise are the freshman residences. And there's also university administrative offices. So before I trash this building, I'd like to say one nice thing about this building from a planning point of view is that it, it was yeah. originally constructed as multi-use. So okay. that's something positive. Sure. So there are housing, classrooms, offices, entertainment, all of these things in one building. It was built on the site of the New York Tribune oh. during the urban renewal of the 1960s. The, the New York Tribune building was beautiful. It had a clock mm -hmm. tower, a wonderful facade. But it was the 60s and urban renewal came around and it was a part of the Brooklyn Bridge Title I project that also included Southbridge Towers, which are on Gold Street, mm. the Beekman Hospital, which is now the New York Downtown Hospital, and then the former World Trade Center. The... These were all built as one project. And they wanted to get out old buildings that if we mm -hmm. looked at them today would look very elegant and beautiful, but yes. it probably needed a ton of work. Most definitely. Gut renovation. Tear them down. Start again. The New York Tribune building was is credited by some historians as being one of the first skyscrapers. Oh. So that would would it would have been a historic building. Yeah, take it down. Just just uh just smack yeah. that down. Who, who needs it? <laughs> the architects who designed One Place Plaza were Otto Eggers and Daniel Higgins. 
And they also built the Thomas Jefferson Memorial in Washington, D.C., which is shocking because that's a beautiful structure. Yeah, it's very classy. Um, and then in front of the building, there's a very unattractive sculpture. <laughs> and these kind of sculptures seem to feature in a lot of Brutal's work. It looks rusted. Mm. And it basically looks like a lot of steel beams next to each other. Maybe like a bar graph or a chart of some kind. Oh, God. Not sure what it signifies, but it's called the Brotherhood of Man. It's made out of copper, and it looks like you need a tetanus shot <laughs> if you touched it, basically. And, of so, course, dear listeners, photos can be found on the Facebook album. Oh, God, yeah. Jaquetta. If, uh Just to give you guys a clue, these guys also designed Jacob Javits Federal Building. And Damrosh Park at Lincoln Center, which has that kind of weird band shell, which I think also is brutalist because I believe it's poured out of concrete. Like the Guggenheim, I think think it's beautiful, Mm -hmm. but it is still brutalist because of what it's made out of. That's it. If you can make nice curves out of it, pour all the concrete you want. But maybe that's why the Guggenheim was such a big deal. Maybe it broke from that brutalist tradition Mm -hmm. of the clean lines, straight lines. I don't know. I'm just theorizing. Me too. That sounds good to me. The the sad thing about this building is that originally it was going to be designed by I.M. Pei, um. who designed the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But when they told the uh, trustees of Pace College, now Pace University, mm-hmm. when they told the trustees we're thinking about I.M. Pei, they said, nah, it's he's too radical and extreme for us. <laughs> we We want this hulking, brutalist nightmare. <laughs> Oh, my Lord. Because it's honest, right? Yeah. That's what we want. Originally, the building was completed in 1969. It had three floors, and you can tell the difference. And then they put the the other the stack on top of it. So the exterior walls are made out of glass because they said mm-hmm. the concrete was too heavy. And in an attempt to make it quieter for learning inside, mm-hmm. they put all the classrooms on the inside and created a sound moat. Are they calling a sound moat between the noise of the streets and the classrooms? So the stairways and the elevators are on the outside. The classrooms oh. are on the inside. And guess what the classrooms don't have? Light. Yes, windows. Windows. So when, I, when, I taught, when I taught there, I would sometimes teach classes, ESL classes, three, four yeah. hours long in a concrete <sighs> room. And the door didn't even have a window. Like you're in a bunker underground. Exactly. Learning about gerunds. there you go that is a and i i have a personal disgust for this building because i worked in it for years and also interesting fact the way that the air ducts were made Mm -hmm. they were unable to clean them after september 11th what so all of the debris and stuff that was circulating in the air plus all the debris before that just being in lower manhattan being with all the traffic Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff so this building, in a way, was a little bit dangerous because they were not able to flush out the air ducts. We'll um, just keep it. We're fine. So, we'll just hang on to all yeah, that. Yeah, we're good. We're fine. So that is a One Pace Plaza, Pace University. One Pace Great Plaza. school, terrible so, building. That is a good school. Like, how do the kids feel yeah. about the building? Well, they have put a lot of facilities on the bottom floor. Mm-hmm. Where the where the walls are more perforated, so okay. you can actually get some light in. All right. So you could have you can eat your lunch in the light. <laughs> <laughs> you can walk around downstairs, but once you move to the upper floors of the building, it's it's very similar to mm-hmm. Hunter. 
very similar to City sure. College, you are not going to see the sun. So you go in there for your your Psych 101 class at mm-hmm. three o'clock in the afternoon yeah. in the in in the winter time. When you come out two hours later, it's dark. It's dark. You missed yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, how awful! Yeah. These poor kids. That's you know you. Like Pretty you, bad. You apply to the school in New York City. You get in. You're so excited. You move in. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that. Yep. It, it definitely is the opposite of the philosophy of the school mm. to have the students on the inside because the idea around Pace University is that the city is the campus. Yes. So originally it was like a business school. It was oriented towards sending people to Wall Street yeah. to work in business, mm-hmm. and it was supposed to be accessible. But when they built the structure, because of the style, that accessibility disappeared. That's ridiculous. So it kind of presents a blank face to the the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's also in direct opposition to the beauty of City Hall, which is across the yes. street. Yes, yes. That's ridiculous. All oh, those poor kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. so bad. And teachers. Yes, and teachers, and teachers. of course. I mean, you, if you're a professor there, that's you get tenure, that's your, that's your place. It's hard. That's it. That concrete. Oh, mm-hmm. awful. Awful. So I'm doing another school. I'll be telling everyone about FIT, Fashion Institute of Technology. All right. Speaking of brutalism. So guys, before I tell you about the buildings, I want to tell you about FIT because in my research, I found a lot of really cool stuff. It's really interesting. Very cool history. Really cool facilities. Located in the heart of the Garment District, it's at 27th Street and 7th Avenue in Manhattan. Fashion Institute of Technology came about because in the 1940s, fashion and apparel industry members were faced with a dwindling number of qualified people to help them run and carry on their businesses. The next generation Mm -hmm. wanted to be doctors and lawyers. They didn't want to be tailors. There's a quote from the founder that says, what we need is an MIT for the fashion industries. Wow. Right? I didn't know that. Yeah. So aim high. A group of industry members set out organizing a school. FIT opened in 1944. It was a SUNY community college at the time, but by 1979 started offering master's degrees. So the school's been growing and adding on over the years. They added state-of-the-art facilities. They have the Design Lighting Research Laboratory and, this is super cool, the Annette Green Fragrance Foundation Studio. Wow. I didn't know they had that. Isn't that cool? cool. Yeah. That's really cool. I want to get in there. I kind of do too. (laughs) Yeah. Take a sniff. That's in fragrance. Yeah. This is the first of its kind on any college campus where they are designing fragrances. The college offers a bunch of degrees, really diverse subjects, menswear, cosmetics, fragrance marketing. A lot of degrees are in subjects that are unique to the college. There's fashion merchandising management. There's visual presentation and exhibition design. And one of my favorites, toy design. You could get a degree. I had no idea that they had that there. It's also, I'd like to add, affordable. Ah, because it's part of SUNY. Yeah, I actually have the, the tuition somewhere down here. Yeah, I'll get to that. So really cool stuff. Today, the campus encompasses an entire city block. There's actually a part of the roadway from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. FIT has a guard and a movable gate at the 7th Avenue end of the campus on 27th Street. So they're able to shut out traffic for part of the day. That creates what they call a campus commons. At the moment, there are close Mm -hmm. to 10,000 students enrolled. It is moderately difficult to get in. They only have a 40% acceptance rate. So good luck 
to you and me if we try to take a fragrance class. We might not get in. And like you said, maybe we can audit. I hope so. We'll sit in. Yeah. Sit in and just smell things. Yeah. We'll just come in. I'm just here to smell. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I can just hang out in the back, right? Okay, cool. It is affordable. The in-state tuition is 6,470 bucks a year, which is not bad for college. If you are coming from out of state, it is more than that. And if you're getting room and board, it's actually more than double that. Room and board costs more than the tuition. But, you know, you're in the middle of Manhattan. True. And their their dorms are right there. So I think if you're a fashion student, that's where you want to be. That's it. That's it. And it's not easy thing to major in. You will be spending a ton of your time in the studio and in the lab and in the library. And it's good to be near to your dorms. But... Oh, FIT kids, I am so sorry. <laughs> I am so sorry. It this is this is the thing that kind of kills me. These aren't Yeah, I don't want to I don't want to stereotype, but these aren't engineers, you know? These aren't computer programmers. These are design students. They are bright, they are creative, they are visual. And they're faculty members, and they're all being housed in these concrete blocks. It looks like a jail, and I think they should let the students attack it with fashion. Yes. <laughs> Periodically, actually, the students attack it with chalk. So they like... <laughs> yeah. I like There's that when they do that. It's like you're doing... It's good. It's a good yes, thing. Yes, keep doing that, guys, please. There is an architecture page, New York City architecture page, with a chunk of information on FIT. They'll discuss certain buildings on the campus. And here's what they say. In 1960, architects designed the school's Nagler Hall, a dormitory at 220 West 27th Street, which has a grid-like masonry facade in faceted chalky white concrete with deep-set windows and a waffle-like roof tank enclosure. It's not... That sounds terrible. Yeah, it's not pretty. It's, it's, it's weird. The <laughs> FIT dorm at 230 West 27th, so right next door, has a bare, rather hostile facade of rough, grooved concrete block. There's that brutalism concrete. Although the top is fancifully cantilevered out like a fortified castle, if that's what you're sure. into, sure. Here, the big one, though. There's a couple of big ones, but here's where they discuss the one we know and love. There are two great limestone mega structures at either end of the campus, meaning one on 7th Avenue, one on 8th Avenue. The one on the 7th Avenue side actually bridges 27th Street. The building is built over 27th Street. The architects de Young, Moskowitz, and Rosenberg designed what is now known as Building C. This is one building whose facade isn't all concrete. It has huge quilted panels of aluminum with regularly spaced square window openings framed in bronze-colored metal now, the, orig- the panels were originally meant to be in two tones of blue, but wound up a brown, coppery color. Yeah, I was going to say, what blue? I've that never noticed blue. that. Yep, yep. <laughs> Guess it should have been. Wow. Alumni Hall is another residence hall. This is the one at 210 West 27th Street. A plain beige brick tower, which honestly is like the best they can do <laughs> of all their <laughs> Yeah. Oh, brick. Oh, how nice and classical. Yeah. Old school. Uh, to the east, the building's auditorium has a jet age character with a wildly angled roof and faceted walls framed by a bronze colored metal grid. That one's rough. And then those <laughs> limestone me- mega structures. 
The street straddling building on Long 7th Avenue can be described with no other word than hulking with its heavy concrete overhang. The thing about this overhang is it blocks light from the sidewalk, which isn't great, but if it's raining, it doesn't block the rain. You're still going to get rained on. True. I've, I've tried to go under there before and yeah. uh, it, to no avail. It's not good. And of course, like a lot of brutalism that's sort of been neglected, there's stains and stuff on the concrete. Uh, it's just... And the thing is, of all the brutalism, that's not really FIT's issue. Their real issue, the campus, the visuals of the campus, is the weird mix of design styles in the buildings. And even the pros don't like it. Even architects aren't a fan. There was an encyclopedic survey, New York 1960. It was written by a modern architecture advocate. His name is Robert A. M. Stern. He was writing with Thomas Mellons and David Fishman. And they complained about, this is a great term, you ready? Okay. The architectural cacophony. Nice. Yeah. Because it is. Hot it, mess. It is all over the place. Yeah, it's a hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> in layman's terms, hot mess. And there is a critic, Paul Goldberger, in his 1979 guidebook, The City Observed, New York. He admitted that the FIT complex was intriguing, but said the result of so many different designs was, quote, a sense of confusion here perhaps unmatched in any other single complex in Manhattan. And he had the final word. This is pretty brutal. Brace yourself. Okay. He summarized the architectural panorama as, quote, neo-nursing home, downtown parking garage, middle American convention center, and fancy pants brutalism. Wow, that is what we call a read. Yeah. I mean, he really went to town on that. I can Talk feel that vitriol. burn from here. That was in 1979. <laughs> wow. That hurt me. I know. <laughs> I feel bad. What happens? And in researching this episode, when I read the criticism of some of these people, mm. I always wonder, what is the architect thinking? I don't know. And I think, like, to be able to do this design, it's such a win that you're, like, ahead of the game. But... Yeah, you know. beat everybody else out, you know, you're right. getting to design something that's going to be around because let's face it, this brutalist stuff ain't going nowhere. Uh-uh, we're stuck so, with it. And then everyone hates it. Yeah, yeah. That's wow. the thing. I'm imagining that initial proposal and here's, here are my, here's my drawings and here's what I'm going to do. And somebody looks at that and says, yeah, that's what we want. It looks great in the model. Probably looks very sleek in the model. Ugh. All right, what do you got? So I have another building, an educational building, that I have had personal history with. Mm -hmm. This is the Martin Luther King Jr. Educational Campus, mm -hmm. and it is at 122 Amsterdam Avenue okay. uh, between 65th and 66th Streets in the Lincoln Square neighborhood. Oh, yeah. So okay. you, you may have seen this mm -hmm. and not been sure about what it was. It looks like an office building. Yeah. But it's basically a, a short, squat, brutalist nightmare with the, just like the Pace building, it has the stairs and passageways on the outside. Oh, this is the one, wait, I'm not, I'm remembering this. This is uh, right by LaGuardia High School, right? The Fame High School. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, and that plays into the history of this, this ah, building and how right. it's been used and misused over the time. So mm -hmm. this building is called the Martin Luther King Jr. Educational Complex. And unfortunately, as with a lot of things that are named after the great Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., 
uh, the structures often are neglected and do not live up to their function. Um. So this was supposed to be, uh, originally it was a high school mm-hmm. and it was a mess. So what they decided to do, it was originally open in 1975 of the uh, okay. formerly a high school. The building took mm-hmm. longer to than it was expected. So the kids from the neighborhood who had enrolled in the school mm-hmm. then were shunted to another school that was more low performing. Uh. And, yeah, you see where this is going. Yep. So they, the parents became, the middle class parents became disenchanted with it and decided that they didn't want anything to do with the Martin Luther King campus at all. And so when the school finally did open up, it was under enrolled huh. and became low performing because you can imagine that the faculty member who, faculty members and the children who thought they were going to be there at this point had gone to other places. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not going to switch schools mid year yeah. or something. Exactly. So it became kind of a catchment for low performing students, for students who didn't get into other schools. And then you have across the street, basically the fame school. Yes. Which is getting everything, all of the support, Uh, all of the, you know, the public love it, the board of ed, they love it. And then you have Martin Luther King. So what they decided to do was to try to make this a specialized arts school. Oh, okay. But the lo- the parents, who the local parents, a lot of them were middle class and low income because mm-hmm. there are some housing projects nearby. Yeah. Were upset by this because what it looked like to them is that they were trying to get rid of all the uh, working class, lower class, black and brown children mm-hmm. and replace them with people who could get into a specialized arts school. So you want to do another fame school. And that was a very different group. Yeah. So they they remained under-enrolled. The parents scuttled that idea. Then they tried to merge with a, a with Brandeis and create a Votech school. Mm. But again, the parents were like, we just want a regular school for yeah. our children. Yeah, quit messing with it. We're fine. We don't want a magnet school. We don't want a Votech school. We want a regular school. Mm-hmm. And so then it became a place where... Once again, a catchment for students who didn't apply to other schools, sure. didn't get into other schools, or who just weren't low performing. Mm-hmm. So by the 80s, this in, this huge complex it's was broken into, it's really, really big. Mm-hmm. They tried to break it into academies. Okay. But that didn't work either. So they put three or four schools in there. It's the same building, mm-hmm. but they just put up signs. This floor is for one school. Right. This floor is for another school. And that also did not work. <laughs> Well, what were the um, different academies? Were they just named differently or was one like the arts kids, the science kids? the? Well, there's there's many different ones. And I'll go over a few of them. Okay. One was the High School for Law, Advocacy, and Community Justice. Okay. And that started in 2002. And then in 2008, it partnered with another school. So apparently that one's still around. They also, in 2002, put the High School of Arts and Technology. Mm-hmm. It says here that the students, they had a very unorthodox principle. Hmm. The students of arts and technology are required to wear a black uniform shirt with an arts and tech logo. And the school has a competition every day before they have three or more day vacation called the Battle of the Classes. Hmm. So I'm not exactly sure. It sounds very militaristic. Yeah. A little little frightening. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so they have, there was another uh, school in there called the Manhattan slash Hunter College High School for Science. Okay. So they students spend their first three years at the MLK complex, mm-hmm. and then they do their fourth year at the Hunter College campus. And I go to Hunter now. I see some of these students. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. And they're a part of Hunter Science Early College Initiative. 
Okay, so those so, are like the sharp kids who are on it, yeah. who are ready to do college level stuff by their senior year. Yeah, so okay. these kids are taking college level classes, they're going to lectures and things like that. So they, you know, there are a bunch of different schools that have tried to to work in there, but the problem is. When you take a very large building like this, there's no way to configure it to say we've got four yeah. or five different schools in here. It's just like an office building. Yes. So there are kids running all over the place, uh, you know, falling through the cracks. Mm-hmm. You're not sure where your students are. There's no real uh, cohesiveness to the program right. at the school necessarily. So I had my teacher training there when I was a new teacher in 2002. Mm. And I just remember having all day long classes in these interior classrooms. Again, they were very dark, very depressing. And then outside, there's a statue, a metal sculpture by an artist named William Tarr, Mm -hmm. who is originally from New York. And it is a sculpture that is a memorial to Martin Luther King. But it just looks like a gigantic rusted cube. And it's built to rust. I mean, this is the style. I looked up his work. This is the style that he worked in. Oh so Lord. it has some letters stamped on the outside. It mm-hmm. has, you know, MLK, uh, initials of people in his family, mm-hmm. important dates for him, and then some some geometric, you know, geometric shapes as well. But it, it looks like it's rusting and falling apart. It sounds very busy and plus the it's rush. very busy and bad yeah. uh, and it looks neglected yeah it looks neglected do you do you think it was built to rust on purpose like they wanted yes. that? it's oh. built that's the style of william tar he also did a very controversial sculpture for the holocaust memorial in oh. washington dc it just looks like a broken tree and it again looks rusted mm-hmm. This this style, it's very similar to the sculpture that's on the front of Pace University's ah. building. That strange style of showing you what the, the raw material looks like and how it ages. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, this kind of material doesn't develop a nice patina. It just looks rusted. I hate that. I'm so done with rust. I can't. Yeah. And this is what children see every day when they go into this educational complex. The uh, There's a, a wall in front of it. And then you go up some stairs and then once you, you know, the glass is all around the outside and it's kind of a weird green copper color. Mm. There's some brick as well. The whole thing looks very rusted and very old. In fact, when we went to meet there for our teacher training, Mm -hmm. we were, we paused outside because we thought we were at an abandoned building and surely we were in the wrong place. (laughs) So we're just a bunch of new teachers standing around outside confused are we lost this can't be the place no i'm sure it's not yeah classrooms with no windows and as we were talking about earlier the idea of these brutalist buildings having the passageways and maybe even elevators and stairs on the outside outside was so that they could make changes to the interior of the building or expand on the building but i have found no evidence that any of these buildings have ever been expanded um, or taken advantage of that. So it just looks bizarre to see all of these people passing along the outside of the building. But once you get inside into a room, you can't see anything. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is ridiculous. Did they mean expanding as yeah. in they could move walls around inside? I'm not sure. I, I can't even find... think what they're talking about. I don't know. Maybe if they need to make changes to systems within the building, mm-hmm. it would be easier if these passageways are on the outside. I don't know. 
Oh my! I really don't know. I have to ask. We'd have to ask an architect about this one, or maybe I just <laughs> misread it. Hopefully, I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm sure you're not, because it's a pretty consistent theme, obviously. <laughs> yeah, but this is another, you know, of the many educational buildings I've worked in in my decade and a half as a teacher. A lot of them have been in this model. They're very depressing to learn in and to teach in. That's it. And you've been you've been all over the place. You've been to lots of mm -hmm. these schools and. Mm-hmm. What? You know, why can't yeah. you just invest in the kids? Why can't they just have a good-looking place to learn? Or at least a window. Throw a window in there. You know, jail, uh, jails have windows. You know? <laughs> Hospitals have windows. These are, these are yes. mandated for a reason. People like sunshine. Yes. They like to see if it's raining out, for God's sake. Exactly. So that's a MLK Junior Educational Campus. So, listeners, I hope we haven't hit you too hard with too much brutalism. I know it was a lot, but I assure you, we've <laughs> barely scratched the surface. We didn't talk about housing projects. We didn't talk about Roosevelt Island. There's so much other brutalism mm. that you are not hearing about from us, because, frankly, we could only stomach it to a limited extent. I think the cool thing about brutalism is always once you know what it is, it makes sense to you why it is where it is. Yeah. And you can spot these buildings all over the place. Yeah. I, I wish I could give the listeners a reason to like them or feel some kind of affection for them. And I get that concrete is durable, but that's all I got for you guys. Concrete is durable. Those buildings aren't going <laughs> yes. anywhere. They're bomb-proof. Ugh. Well... Thank you, listeners, for sticking with us through this list of horrible, brutalist buildings. Please tune in for the next episode where we will be talking about the most horrible modern buildings. And if you thought brutalism was bad, hang on to your butts because it's going to get a whole lot worse. Thank you, Jaquetta, for joining me for this. Thanks for having me. This was really fun. And Jaquetta will be with me to, to help us all through the modern episode as well. So stay tuned. We will talk to you next time, everyone. I wish you were standing here as Broadway opens up her arms When the crimson skyline bruises black and lights up like a favorite song I wish you could be For more ABC Gotham, go to our website, abcgotham.com Special thanks to Podcasting's Brock Music for ABC Gotham is by Big Rude Jake ABC Gotham is a Comeback Zinc production, copyright 2016, all rights reserved. I wish you could be here with me on this night in New York City. I wish you could be here with me on this night in New York City. Oh.